Hey friends, what's going on? Welcome back to Babel on Talmud. Today we're starting Daf Kuf Chaf Beis of Masech of Shabbos, Daf 122. Friends, let me tell you something. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Daf today. Great Daf. Few got like a few juicy sugyas in over, over here. It's not too long. Great Daf. Very, very good Daf, friends. Um, Let's do a quick overview before we begin. Uh, at the beginning, we're just going to do a few, like, uh, start off with a few random stuff from uh, Rabbi Abba Bar Kahana, Amr Khanina, just because we had mentioned him yesterday with that, like, um, scorpion thing that fell in the base magic. But then we move on to um, a, uh, a new Mishnah and then a new Perak, okay? So we move on to a new Mishnah, which discusses a non-Yid, who does work for a Yid on Shabbos. He does a Malacha for a Yid on Shabbos. What are those Halachos? Very interesting. Then we conclude the 16th parak of Masech Shabbos and move on to the 17th parak of Masech Shabbos, the parak of Kol Akelim. We are going to talk about Yesh Binyan Bekelim, Yesh Stira Bekelim, or Ein Binyan Bekelim, Ein Stira Bekelim, a little interesting Machlokas between Abayi and Rava Darton. And then... Uh, at the very end, we have Machlokas between Rav Yehuda and Rabbah regarding Klisha Malachto Le'isr in terms of Muksa. So it's a very, very interesting day ahead of us, friends. Let's jump in. We're going to start at Af Kuf Chaf Alf Amud Beis, um, two lines from the bottom. Ve'amr bi'abba bar kahana amr b'chanina p'mutos shal beis Rebbe murti l'tatalim b'shabbos. Great. So it says Rabbi Abba by Kahana, the name of Rabbi Hanina, that these, uh, like candelabras from the house of Rebbe, it is permitted to move them on Shabbos. They're not Mukta. Amr Rabzera, Rabzera says to Rabbi Abba by Kahana, Binitalim biyado achas He wants to know, Rabzera wants to know, is this candelabra something that, um, you know, specifically is movable in one hand? What if you need two hands to move it? Um, and as Rashi points out, um, actually, let's, so let's, uh, yeah, let's read the first Rashi in Kufchaf Bez Amur Aleph, even though it's really based on the answer, but, um, right? The point is that, um, you know, if you carry it in two hands, it's a big candelabra. If it's a big candelabra, well then, it's the kind of thing that you put in a specific place and you leave it there. And for that reason, you know, so the question is, are we talking about big candelabras or small candelabras? And then the answer is, so Rabbi Abba Barakana answers him, right? So um, Rabbi Abba Barakana answers Rabzeri, he says, when, when we say that you can move the candelabras of Beis Rabbi, it means the ones that are like your father's, meaning that they're smaller. And, and because they're smaller, and I, I imagine what it means is that to answer your question, um, it, we're talking about ones that you move with one hand, the smaller menorahs, those are movable on Shabbos, but the larger ones that you would really set in one place and not move them in general, so you wouldn't move them on Shabbos. Kronos shall base Rebbe, these wagons of Rebbe's house. As Rashi says, Kronos asuyos lipne adam, they are made for people. These are, uh, I don't know, I guess a wagon that a person goes in them. So mutalatatalam b'Shabbos, you would be able to move it on Shabbos. And I assume that when we talk about moving a wagon, probably has wheels attached to it and you know is it mukta do you have to leave it put or or can you move it on, on Shabbos so 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 um Rabbi Abba says the name of Kuhun uh, of Rav Hanina I'm sorry Rabbi Abba Barkana says the name of, of Rav Khan holy shnikes Rabbi Abba Barkahana 
He says in the name of Rebbe Hanina that you would be able to move these wagons of the house of Rebbe. Fine. Rebzeir asks, are we talking about wagons that are movable um, you know, just by one person? Or what about wagons that you need two people in order to, to, to move? So Rabbi Abba Barkana gives the same response, which is we're talking about the ones like your father has, i.e. smaller ones, um, but it sounds like if they were larger ones, then you would not move them on Shabbos. But I'm Rabbi Abba Barkana. And says Rabbi Abba Barkana, So says Rabbi Abba Barkana that Rabbi Hanina permitted the house of Rabbi to drink wine that was transported in wagons belonging to Gentiles, even though there was only one seal on the wine. So this has to deal with um, Stam Yenam or Yenesach. Maybe Yenesach. Yeah, probably Yenesach, I guess. Right, the, 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 the concern, right, of course there are all sorts of laws uh, and all sorts of concerns when it comes to wine handled by uh, non-Jewish people, right, they come, uh, they are based on the Gemaras in, in, in Avodah Zarah. Um, based on, right, there was a concern that um, this wine may have been used for servicing Avodah Zarah. And therefore, um, in order for a Jew to be able to drink wine that was handled by a non-Jew, so they would have to be, we would have to be assured that it wasn't tampered in any way um, and potentially used for Avodazar. And therefore, um, I guess we need, so we need proper seals. And so what Rabbi Abba Barkhan is saying in the name of Rabbi Hanina, uh, well, what Rabbi Abba Barkhan is saying is that Rabbi Hanina allowed the house of Rabbi to drink wine that was transported in non-Jewish wagons, even if the barrel that the wine was in only, or the bottle, whatever it is, only has one seal on it and not two. Now, says Rabbi Abba I don't know if Rabbi Hanina allowed Rabbi to drink these uh, from these wine barrels that only had one seal on them. I don't know if it's because he holds like Rabbi Eliezer who that's his opinion, that all you need is one seal. Or maybe he holds that in general you would need more than one seal. However, out of fear of Rebbe, the non-Jews wouldn't tamper with it. As Rashi says uh, in the last wide line of Rashi, Very interesting, right? That the assumption is that um, this uh, non-Jewish person who was transporting this wine would be too scared to tamper with this uh, barrel of wine in any way since he knows that it's going to be delivered to the house of Rebbe and the Nisius, Rebbe who was the Nasi, who was the leader, was actually, it was a political appointment by the king and therefore, you know, the person transporting the wine, uh, def- definitely, you know, you mess with, you mess with the Benesia, you mess with the king and nobody wants to mess with the king and therefore, he would leave it alone, and that's why one seal would be enough. So Rabbi Abba Barkan is saying he doesn't know if the reason why Rabbi Hanina allowed Rebbe to drink wine that was transported in a uh, that was transported by non-Jewish people. He's not sure if it was because um, Rabbi Hanina holds like Rabbi Eliezer that all you need is one seal and that's enough, or in general he would hold that you need more than one seal, not like Rabbi Eliezer. However, because um, this wine was being transported to Rebbe, who was the Nasi, we can rely on the fact that the 
non-Jewish person transporting the wine would be scared to tamper with the wine in any way since he knows that he's giving it to the Nasi who was uh, appointed by the king and he just doesn't want to take any risks. Maybe that is why it was permitted for Rebbe to drink this wine or that or that why that's really why Rebbe Hanina permitted the house of Rebbe to drink this wine. Uh, so he says he's not sure why. Okay, friends, now we move on to a very interesting Mishnah, um, which discusses a non-Jew who does work, who does malacha for a Jew on Shabbos. Now, it's ve- in my opinion, it's a very interesting sugya, but it, it could also be a little bit confusing. So I think what might be a good idea is if I give an introduction before, before, we, um, before we learn this. Um, I think that that might be a good idea. And because I think it might be a good idea, I'm going to do it. Hopefully it'll work out. So here's the thing, friends. Rule number one. A non-Jew cannot intentionally do a melacha for a Jew on Shabbos. If that happens, that's a problem. So, for example, if there is a Jew sitting in a room reading and it's dark in the room, a non-Jew walks into the room, sees, oh, this guy's reading, it's dark. Non-Jew turns on the light, leaves the room. That is not okay. The Jew, I guess, would have to leave the room um, because the non-Jew is clearly doing the malacha for the Jew. If that's the case, not allowed. Okay. Where it becomes more interesting is what if the non-Jew is doing work for himself, but once he's already doing work for himself, so then the Jew can benefit from it as well. Okay. So what would happen if the non-Jew walks into the room, turns on the light, opens a book, and starts reading as well? So... Um, you know, in that case, the non-Jew is really turning it on for himself. The Jew happens to be there. Can he, uh, you know, benefit from that as well? So here's where things get more interesting. So, um, so there is a difference between if the Jewish person and the non-Jewish person know each other, if they know each other. So let's first start with where they uh, do not know each other, because that's a little bit easier. So if they do not know each other, well, then sure, no problem. As, you know, as long as the non-Jew is doing it for himself, right? The Jew doesn't know who this non-Jewish person is. Non-Jewish person walks in, turns on the light, starts reading. Okay, great. The Jew can also continue to read. It's no big deal. When they do know each other, so now, you know, there's more of a concern that maybe this non-Jewish person, he knows this Jewish person, maybe he wants to help him out. So maybe there's concern that uh, really the, the, the uh, non-Jewish person is doing it for the Jew. So there's a machlokas here between Abaye and Rava. Abaye says that um, if a non-Jew does malacha for himself and they know each other, a Jew would only be able to benefit if the if he, the Jew, was not in the presence of the non-Jew at the time that the non-Jew did the malacha. That's what's important, right? Was the Jew in front of the non-Jew at the time that the non-Jew did the malacha for himself? Right, and then the Jew wants to kind of benefit from it. Rava's opinion is that no, it doesn't matter if the Jew is in front of him or not. What's important is the type of malacha. If it's something like turning on a light, right, and the non-Jew is turning on the light for himself, and he doesn't do he doesn't the non-Jew doesn't have to do any additional effort whatsoever in order for the Jew to additionally benefit from it. So that would be okay. But as we're going to see, something like you know, let's say the non-Jew were to be schlepping water for his own animal, would the Jew then be able to use the extra for his animal? Well, then there's a concern that maybe the non-Jew took a little bit extra water so that he can give it to the Jew, in which case he was doing malacha for the Jew. Okay. Um, 
Okay, I, I, you know, that is like the basic overview. And now we'll jump into the Gemara. Um, it's okay if you didn't necessarily pick up on all the details right now. We're going to read it in the Gemara. But I did just want to kind of do a basic introduction before we begin. So at least you're familiar with the different divisions. And as they come up, um, they will be familiar. Okay, friends, let's jump in. New Mishnah. So if you have a non-Jew who lit a candle... Okay, turn down the light. So, Mishtamish Lo'or Yisrael. So, the, right, just like in our example, the non-Jew walks into the room, turns on the light, opens a book and starts reading. Well, a Jew can also read from that light. No big deal. The Imbishvil Yisrael, Aser. But, if the non-Jew turned on the light for the Jew and then walked out, that would be a problem. Mile Maim Lashkos Behemto. If a non-Jew filled up a bucket of water so that he can give that water to his own animal, right? Meaning he fills up water in Rishus Arabim, then schleps it into some chatzer. So obviously a Jew would not be allowed to do that on Shabbos. It would be hotzah, things like that. Um, so the non-Jew fills up some water, brings it into the chatzer, gives some water to his animal, and there's leftover water. Can the Jew say, oh, great, there's leftover water, let me give that to my animal. So, mashka v'israel. So, yeah, no problem. The Yid can... Uh, use the extra water to, to, to give his own animal to drink. But once again, if the non-Jew specifically just filled up water and gave it directly to the Jew, and i.e. he did it specifically for the Jew, that would be a problem. Fine. If um, they are on a boat, if they are on a boat, and um, if they're on a boat, Okay, now, and it's Shabbos, and now they have to get off the boat. Okay, so Yored Acharav Yisrael. So if the, if a non-Jew made a ramp so that they can walk off of the boat, so he basically built a ramp on Shabbos so that they can walk off the boat, no problem. The Jew can walk off the boat after the non-Jew does. Because again, the assumption is the non-Jew built it for himself. Once he built it for himself, so the Yid can, can walk, on, walk on, you know, use it as well. Vimbishvil Yisrael Aser. But if the non-Jew specifically bought the, uh, built the ramp for the Yid, I don't know, maybe the non-Jew is planning to stay on the boat, whatever it is, well then it would be Aser. Ma'isa Rabbi Gamliel, Uzkenim, there was a story with Rabbi Gamliel and the elders, Shayubayin B'Sfina, that they were coming on a boat, Basanachri Kevesh Leiridbo, Vyardubo, Rabbi Gamliel, Uzkenim. And a non-Jew made a ramp um, to get off the boat with, and Rabbi Gamliel and the other elders used that ramp to get off the boat, and we're going to go into a little bit more detail about all of these things. Fine. So, I mean, I think that the, 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 you know, one thing, one thing that is certainly clear from the Mishnah is that if a non-Jew does malacha specifically for a Jew and not for himself at all, that would be a problem. Okay. Um, we saw different cases. We saw, um, you know, lighting a flame. We saw filling up water for animals. We saw building a ramp for a boat. And we said in these cases, the Jew can, you know, use the, the benefit from the work of the non-Jew as long as the non-Jew was not doing it only for the Jew. Okay. Utsuricha, and the Gemara says, we need all three cases. Fine. Because if we would only have the case of the candle, of a non-Jew lighting a candle for himself, and, uh, you know, the Jew benefits from it as well. That's because there's a, you know, we assume, well, he doesn't have to do any work, any additional work whatsoever for the Jew to benefit from this candle. You literally light the candle, 
One person can benefit from it just as much as 100 people can benefit from it. There's no difference. Aval mayim, but I might think that what about when the non-Jew schleps water for his animal? So ligzar, I might think that a Jew would not be allowed to use the extra because Dilma Asila Afushe because maybe the non-Jew might say, ah, there's a Jew over there, let me bring some more water. And that way, whatever I don't use, the Jew will be able to use. So I might think that that would be a problem, because in that case, it's not like a candle where it's the same effort for, you know, light for one person as it is for a hundred over here. The more people you want to provide water for, the more water you have to get. So I might think that in this case, the non-Jew is specifically going out of his way to add extra water so that the Jew can have some water. So um, that is why the Mishnah has to tell us that even in that case, it would be permitted since the non-Jew is, is doing it for himself. Um, the Jew can benefit from the whatever's left over. The Kevesh, what's the Chiddush of Kevesh? Lamali. How come I need the, the, the example of the ramp coming off of the boat? So So the point is, well, because um, of the story of Ramagamlil and the Zakanim being on the boat and the non-Jew builds the ramp, the, um, the Mishnah wanted to teach us about um, that case and therefore, and that's why it is included as well. Um, fine. Let's move on. Tanur Rabbanan. The rabbis taught in a b'risa. Nachri shliket asavim. Okay, so what? So if you have a non-Jew and he collected a whole bunch of grass on Shabbos. Okay. Ma'ichil achar Yisrael. Well, so non-Jew, he collected a whole bunch of grass for his animal on Shabbos. And the non-Jew fed it to his own animals. Whatever is left over, he can give to a, to, you know, that the Jew can have for his animals. No problem. But of course, if the non-Jew specifically um, gathers grass for a Jew, then it'll be a problem. If the non-Jew filled up water for his own animal, so whatever is left over, the Jew can use. But if the non-Jew specifically filled up water for the Jew, then it is a sur. Fine. Friends, listen up. When we say this, when we say that as long as the non-Jew let's say, fills up water or collects grass for himself, the Jew can use whatever's left over, that's only when they do not know each other. But if they know each other, it's forbidden. Now, I think really what, what would be more accurate is, is probably to say that it's certainly just not Pashat Aser. It, it then becomes more complicated. You know, it's going to be Machlokas and Abai and Rava about, you know, in what cases would it, would it be permitted, what cases not. We're going to have to get there. But uh, definitely when, when we say simply that um, if a non-Jew schleps water, whatever is left over, a Jew can use, um, no questions asked, that is only going to be when they don't know each other. When they know each other, then it becomes more complicated, right? Depending on how it's done, it may be Mutter, it may be Aser. Fine. So now the Gemara asks Akasha, Ini, is this so? Is what so? This question is going back to the beginning of this Brisa. So the first thing that this Brisa said is that a non-Jew who collects grass for a 
for his own animal. So a Jew can use the leftover grass. So we're gonna, for a minute, we're gonna take take take, take another look at that at that statement. Is that really so? Okay, a person can put his animal, um, you know, on, on grass on Shabbos. There's no problem with that. The grass is connected to the ground. No problem. The animal can eat it. No problem. But you cannot, you know, have your animal right next to muktza on Shabbos. So, for example, if you had these grass, so now this grass that this non-Jew picked is muktza. Because before Shabbos, it was still connected to the ground. Now that he picked it on Shabbos, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't there before Shabbos. It wasn't, you know, gathered and picked before Shabbos. Therefore, it's muktzah. So on the one hand, we have this b'risa that's saying that whatever's left over, the non-Jew would be, you know, the Jew would be able to use. But at the same time, um, Rav Huna said the name of Rav Hanina, that, um, a Jew would not be able to bring his animal to muktzah on Shabbos because we're, we're concerned that maybe the Jew will you know, pick up this grass, pick up this mukta and feed it to his animal. So like, what's pshat? On the one end, the Brisa is saying that the Jew can use the leftover mukta grass. On the other hand, we have the statement of Rav Hun in the name of Rav Hanina that a Jew cannot bring his animal to mukta on Shabbos and this grass is mukta. So the Gemara answers that in this Brisa, when it says that the um, Yid is able to use this leftover grass, that's talking, it's not talking about where he's like mamish taking his animal right to the grass. Cause in that case, like Rafuna in the name of Rabchanina, that would not be loud because we're concerned about Mukta. It's where basically the Jew guided him, the Jew guided his animal to where the extra grass from the non-Jew is. Right? I mean, he wasn't going to where the grass is because if he did, then that would be a problem of, of Mukta. Right? The concern that he would move this grass. What he did was he basically blocked the, um, his animal's way so that there was only one direction he can go in and that was towards this leftover grass. In that case, it would be permitted because he's staying far away from the grass and he's not, there's no concern that he's going to move it. Okay, fine. That was, um, a little bit of a technicality, but here we're going to get back, uh, to our sugya of in what cases would a Jew be able to benefit from the work that a non-Jew did for himself on Shabbos? Right? So Amar Mar, we said earlier, Okay. We had quoted this b'risa uh, a few minutes ago that if a non-Jew gathers grass for his own animal or he uh, schleps some water from the well for his own animal, so a Jew would be able to benefit from the leftovers, right? Now, we said, however, there is a caveat. And that caveat is that the Jew can only benefit from the leftovers of the non-Jew, of the non-Jew's work that he did for himself, if he doesn't know the non-Jew. If he knows the non-Jew, then he wouldn't be able to benefit from the leftovers of the non-Jew because the concern is that maybe the non-Jew brought extra water or brought extra grass for the Jew, which means that he basically did work on Shabbos for the Jew. So that wouldn't be allowed. But we have a question. But the story with Rabban Gamliel <coughs> on the boat, it says that they were on a boat and they had to get off the boat. So the non-Jew built a ramp for himself. And then Rabbi Gamliel and his friends used it afterwards. 
But obviously, Rabbi Gamaliel and his friends knew this Gentile on the boat. I mean, after all, they were on the same boat together. They, they knew each other. And yet, we're saying that Rabbi Gamaliel and uh, the other rabbis benefited from the work that this Gentile did for himself. So the Gentile built his ramp for himself. And then once he built it for himself, so then Rabbi Gamaliel and the other rabbis, um, you know, used it afterwards to get off the boat. But one second, we just had a price that says that you would only be able to benefit from the work that Anandri did for himself when you don't know who he is. But in the case of Rabbi Gamaliel, they knew each other. They were on the same boat together. And yet Rabbi Gamaliel and the other rabbis are benefiting from the work that the non-Jew did for himself. So Amr Abaye, so Abaye answers, Shelo Bifan of Hava. Okay, so Abaye answers that the reason why Rabbi Gamliel was allowed to benefit, why Rabbi Gamliel and the other rabbis benefited from this work that the non-Jew did for himself is because when the non-Jew built the um, uh, ramp, well, Rabbi Gamliel and the other rabbis were not in front of him. They were not there when he built it. And because when they were not there when he built it, so he wasn't building it with them in mind. And because he wasn't building it with them in mind, so therefore, um, they were able to use it. Okay, very good. Rava Amar. Whereas Rava said, Afilu tema of Rava says, no, it doesn't matter where Rabbi Gamliel and the rabbis were at the time that the non-Jew built the ramp. Rather, ner le'echad ner lemea. However, the ramp is basically the same thing as a flame. You don't have to do anything extra for one person versus 10 people, right? It's the same ramp. You build a ramp to get off the boat. So this non-Jew who's building the ramp so he can get off the boat, well then, you know, he's not doing anything extra to enable Rabbi Gamliel and the other rabbis to get off the boat as well. And for that reason, even though they knew each other, Rabbi Gamliel and the rabbis were able to use that ramp because he wasn't doing any extra work for them. Okay, there you go. There you go. There you go. So, 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 so what have we seen so far, friends? So what have we seen so far? I think basically so far we've seen everything that we need to know about a non-Jew doing work for a Jew on Shabbos. Number one, if the non-Jew does work directly for the Jew, not for himself at all, that's not going to be allowed. If he does work for himself, and then, you know, while he's doing it for himself, the Jew can benefit as well, so then it depends. If they don't know each other, then there's no problem. He did it for himself. The Jew can benefit from the leftovers, right? And that would apply to, let's say, if he slept water for himself or he collected grass for himself, whatever's left over, the Jew can use, no problem. However, when they do know each other, then it becomes a little bit more complicated. According to Abaye, you would only be able to use the leftovers, the Jew would only be able to use the leftovers if he wasn't there at the time that the non-Jew did the work. According to Rava, that's irrelevant. What's important is the kind of work that he did. If it's the kind of work that it, you don't have to do anything extra at all, if you're doing it for one person or if you're doing it for a thousand people, so in that case, um, even though they recognize each other, the Nanju really didn't do anything extra for the Jew, and therefore um, it would be permissible for the Jew to use. Okay. Fine. So now says the Gemara, 
Meisve. We have a kasha. Amr learned Rabbi Gamliel. Right? Rabbi Gamliel said to the other rabbis, So we have a bryson which Rabbi Gamliel says to the other rabbis, Well, since uh, this non-Jew didn't build this ramp in front of us, well, we can use it. So let's get off this boat. Well, that sounds exactly like Abayah's opinion, who says that what's important is whether or not the non-Jew built it in front of them. It sounds like Rabbi Gamliel is saying, well, since he didn't build it in front of us, we can use it. So Ema, so Rava says, no problem. Ema hova aso neredbo. Just drop the words, shalom b'fanenu. Just say, since he made it, i.e. he made it for himself, and it's no extra sweat off his back um, um, for us to use it, so then we will use it because his opinion is ner le'echad, ner lemea. Which is funny that Rava is saying that because I feel like Rava is always the one who kind of responds to people who try to get away with things like this, of just like amending prices. And he says, wait a second, that's not what the Bryce has said. And here he is kind of benefiting from saying, yeah, just drop those two words. We're actually going to see this a little bit later on the page where he says something like that as well, where he kind of takes the Bryce at face value. Yet over here, he doesn't seem to have a problem dropping a few words to, to, to big, um, show how it works with his opinion as well. Tashma, come in here. So you have a city, and in the city, there are both Jews and non-Jews in the same city. Okay, and in the city there is a bathhouse. Now the bathhouse is open twenty four seven, and it's open on Shabbos for the um, non Jewish people to use on Shabbos, and they're warming up the water on Shabbos. The question is, can a Jew go to the bathhouse immediately after? Can a Jew go to the bathhouse immediately after uh, Shabbos? Right, because after all the water. That was heated, that's going you know, the hot water he's gonna be using immediately after Shabbos was heated up on Shabbos. So the question, of course, is who were they heating up the water for? Were they heating up for the Jews? Were they heating up for themselves? So Imrov Nachrim Mutilirchotz Bat Well, if the majority of the people in the city are non-Jews, right? So we consider it as if they're, you know, basically uh you know, vis-a-vis this Yidala who gets to the bathhouse immediately after Shabbos, it's Ke'ilu, the non-Jewish bathhouse attendant who is heating up the water, doesn't know this Jew. It's a minority of Jews in the city. It's Ke'ilu. They don't know each other. And therefore, he was heating it up uh, for himself or he was heating up for the, for, for the non-Jews. So the Jew can benefit from it immediately after Shabbos. In Rov Yisrael, however, if the majority of the people in the city are Jews, well, then it's considered that this Jew shows up to the bathhouse right after Shabbos, he and the bathhouse attendant know each other. The majority of the city is Jewish. It's considered like, um, you, you know, the Jew and the non-Jew, the, the non-Jew who's doing the malach of heating up the water, and the Jew who's showing up immediately after Shabbos, it's kilu, they know each other. And what do we say? Wait for enough time that the hot water should heat up. Because we're concerned that since the majority of the city is Jewish, it's Ke'ilu, the non-Jewish bathhouse attendant, and the Jewish population, i.e. this Yid who's going to show up right after Shabbos to use the bathhouse, it's Ke'ilu, they know each other. And because they know each other, um, we're concerned that the non-Jew is heating up the hot water for the Jew on Shabbos. Now, here's the thing. That's a kasha both on Abai and Rava. 
Sakasha and Abaye, because Abaye says that even when they know each other, as long as he's not, you know, the Jew isn't there when the non-Jew is doing malacha, well then the Jew can benefit from it. Over here, the Yid was, uh, he was in the Beis HaMedrash on Shabbos, learning. The non-Jew was in the bathhouse, heating up the water. They weren't in front of each other, and yet, the Bryce is suggesting that he cannot use the water right away and benefit from the malacha that happened on Shabbos. But they weren't in front of each other. And according to Rava, Rava's opinion is that as long as it's ner le'echa, ner le'mea, as long as it's, you know, makes no difference if the non-Jew has to do something for one person or do it for a thousand people, well then, uh, here also, you know, you don't heat up the water any differently if it's for one person for a thousand people, so therefore here as well, why, uh, why, why would, would, would the Yid who shows up after Shabbos, even though they recognize each other, why should he not be able to use the bathhouse? He didn't do any extra work for this Yid specifically. So the more answer is, So the answer is that, here's the thing, in a city that is a majority of Yidin, when this non-Jewish bathhouse attendant heats up the water for the bathhouse on Shabbos, he's doing it with the intention of the majority of the users in mind. And since the majority of the people in the city are Jewish, he's not just heating it up for himself and then the Yid can hop around after the fact. His mom is heating it up for the Jewish, for the Jewish population that's going to come immediately after Shabbos. And therefore, um, it's basically a situation where the non-Jew is doing melacha on Shabbos for a Jew. And as we know, that would not be allowed. Tashma, come in here, a similar case. What if there is a um, candle that's lit at some kind of a party? And I guess the party is happening on Shabbos. So, Imrov Nachrim Imrov Yisrael Aser Aser. So we say that if the majority of the people at the party are non-Jewish, so then Beseder, they were, they were lighting up the candle for the non-Jewish people. And, um, and, and, well, 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 the kasha is, meaning it's the same kasha as before, right? The assumption is that when the majority of the people at the party are non-Jewish, so then it's Ki'ilu, um, the non-Jewish person who lit the, the, uh, the flame and the Jewish people who are at the party, but they're not the majority, they don't know each other. But if the majority, if the majority of the people are Jewish, then it's Kilu, it's Kilu, the person who lit the light, and these Jewish people who are there are, uh, right, they do know each other. And if it's half half, so then, um, basically, because it's 50-50, it's hard to tell, maybe the non-Jewish person lit it for the Jew, maybe, right, maybe it's Kilu, they know each other, maybe they don't know each other, therefore it's not allowed. No, so, so, so it's the same Kasha, right? That, that, that what? that um, still, right, the light was being lit, not in front of the Jews necessarily, and also it, it, it's a flame, so he's not doing anything extra for the Jewish people, and still we're saying that it, that uh, if the majority are, are Jews, so then it's not allowed, it's a kasha on Abaye and on Rava, it's the same answer. They're also they're lighting it based on the majority, they're lighting it for the majority, and therefore if the majority of, of the people there at the party are Yidin, so basically the person lighting the flame is lighting it for the Yidin, and you know, even though um, you know, the Yidin might not have been there when he lit it, or even though it's, he's not doing anything extra for the Yidin, um, still he's lighting it for them since they're the majority, and that would not be acceptable. Shmuel Ikla Levei Oven Toran. Shmuel visited the house of Oven Toran. Okay, fine. Also, Unachri Adlik Shraga. Now, so I think what happened was, it's not super clear exactly all the details, but I, I think we could say it like this. 
Basically, Shmuel was in this room at this guy Avin Toran's house, and uh, a non-Jew walked into the room and lit a candle. Ahadjunu Shmuel la'ape. So Shmuel said, uh-oh, I can't use this. He just did malacha for me on Shabbos, so he turned away. Now, I assume that they don't know each other. I mean, he's, in a, he's a guest at somebody's house. A non-Jew walks in, lit a, lit a flame for him. Shmuel says, this non-Jew just did malacha for me, so he turned away. Came the chaz of the icy star v'kakari, but then he saw that the non-Jew then brought a document and started reading the document. Ah, Amr adai to the nafshi with the adlik. Ajinu la'apigavishraga. So Shmuel said, Ah, okay. So he lit it for himself. So he said, Okay, well, you know, I don't know who he is. He lit it for himself. Um, I can I can benefit from it as well. And and that's what he did. He turned back and continued learning. I guess. Hajin alach kokisve. That is kokisve. Um, Okay, yeah, I mean, it was a cool Mishnah, right? I mean, it was a little bit complicated, I guess, I don't know, yeah, like, I had a funny relationship with this Mishnah, like, on the one hand, like, the Gemara itself is, like, a little bit complicated, right? I feel like it's a little spaghetti, like, trying to figure out the different opinions and what they're applying to, you know, did you know the guy, did he not know the guy, was he doing it for himself, was it, it's a little bit complicated, but I think that when we zoom out, and we take a step back and we just remember these rules that emerged from it, I think that you can kind of be kind of organized about it, right? What's important is if the non-Jew is doing malacha for the Jew, definitely not allowed. If he's doing it from himself and then the Jew wants to benefit from the surplus, well, if they don't rec- if they don't know each other, no problem. It comes a little bit more complicated when they know each other, but even so, it's still not so complicated. Abayi says, look, if you're if he's in front of the guy, so then it's a problem. If he's not in front of the guy, it's okay. Uh, Rava says it depends what the activity is. If it's something that he doesn't have to do anything extra for the Jew, such as lighting a candle or building a ramp, so then that is going to be um, permitted. That's really it. That's really it. These things at the end with the majority Jews, the majority non-Jews, that's, that's just a way of establishing who the person doing the malach is doing it for. So it just becomes, you know, if the majority are Jews, so then they're doing it for the Jews, in which case it's just goes back to uh, you know rule number one, which is if they're doing it for a Jew, the Jew cannot use it. So I think when you zoom out, it, you know, and just remember the rules, it becomes pretty mu- uh, much more straightforward. Okay, friends, moving on to the new parak, the 17th parak of Masech the Shabbos, parak Kol HaKelem. Kol HaKelem Nitalen B'Shabbos V'dasosen Imoen. Any vessel, any cleat that has a door on it, such as some kind of a carriage, um, so you can move them on Shabbos. Vidaso and you can move it together with their door. No problem. Move the kli, move the door, move the carriage, move the door. Avapishan is sparku, and even if the door got separated from the kli, so you have a carriage, the door got separated from the carriage, you can still uh, you can still move the kli and the carriage on Shabbos. The door and the carriage on Shabbos. Because they're not similar to the door of a house. Right? The door of a house is not considered mukhan. Mukhan is the opposite of muktzah. Muktzah is, you know, it's not prepared before Shabbos. The door of a house is, uh, is, is not prepared before Shabbos. It's not mukhan. It's not prepared before Shabbos. You know, it's considered connected to the ground, connected to your house. You wouldn't be able to, you know, disconnect and move a door on, or move a disconnected door on Shabbos. But if it's part of a kli, and the kli is something that's movable on Shabbos, so then you would be able to um, move the kli, you'd be able to move the door, no problem. A person can take a hammer 
and use that hammer to crack open nuts. No problem. Kardom lachtoch bo esadvela. You can take a hatchet and use that hatchet to cut a um, fig cake where the figs are very, very tightly pressed together and it's not easy to um, cut. You need to use a hatchet. Megera lagurba esagvina. You can use a saw to saw apart cheese. Magrefa ligrof ba esagrogris. You can use a um, shovel to shovel out um, dried figs from a barrel. If you have a barrel and there are dried figs in there and you want some kind of a shovel to get everything out, so you can use a shovel. You can use a winnowing shovel and a pitchfork in order to put food on it. And I don't know if you're going to exactly feed a child with a pitchfork or present the food to the child with a pitchfork. Okay, but you can use it. You can use a spindle and a weaver's reed, litrov bow, in order to use like a toothpick, you know, to stick into some fruit and eat it. You can use a needle, like a sewing needle, so that you can remove a splinter. You can use the needle of a, um, from like, like sack makers, so they have bigger, less gentle, less delicate, more bigger and rougher needles that they use to create sacks. You can use that to, um, you know, if you lost your key and you need to pick the lock, you can use that. It says the Gemara, Okay, so we're saying that you can use, that you can move all of these vessels on Shabbos. And even though they became separated on Shabbos, and certainly if they became separated during the week. Meaning, what the Gemara is saying is that the implication of the Mishnah is that you read it like this. That if you have a Kli, right? You have, let's say, a carriage. And there's a door on this carriage. And the door falls off. Uh, and they want to say that what the Mishnah is saying is that even if, right? When, when the Mishnah says, that even though the door fell off of the carriage, what it's saying is that even though the door fell off of the carriage on Shabbos, you would still be able to move both the door and the carriage, implying that certainly if the carriage became separated from the door, or the door became separated from the carriage during the week, you would be able to move that on Shabbos. But the Gemara says, Adaraba, the truth of the matter is that the opposite would really make sense, right? Right? Shabbos is less of the Chiddush. B'Shabbos Muchanan Agabe Avian, right? On Shabbos, the door is already considered muchan. Remember, I'm using muchan as the opposite of muktza. So on Shabbos, the door is already muchan because it's connected to the kli. When Shabbos started, the door was connected to the carriage. And therefore, it's less of a chiddush to say that if the door becomes separated from the carriage on Shabbos, that I would be able to move it. Because after all, when Shabbos started, the door was still connected to the carriage. It's a bigger chiddush to say that bechol, because ein muchanan avian. Because you know, if if the it's a bigger chiddush to say that if the door became separated from the carriage during the week, that I would still be able to move the door on Shabbos. Because when Shabbos started, it was not connected to the carriage and it was not muchan; it was muktzah. Or I would argue that it could be considered muktzah. So therefore, right? So again, so 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 the Gemara is saying if I look at the Mishnah, the implication seems to be that I can move this door of the carriage that's separated from the carriage even if it became separated on Shabbos. That's a big chiddush. 
But certainly, if it was separated before Shabbos, I would be able to move it on Shabbos. To which the Gemara says, what do you mean? The bigger Chiddush is that if it got separated during the week, that I would be able to move it on Shabbos. If it became separated on Shabbos, it's less of a Chiddush. When Shabbos started, it was still connected, so it wasn't Muqsa when Shabbos started, so therefore it's not going to be Muqsa now. It would be a bigger Chiddush to say that even if it got separated during the week, I could still move the door on Shabbos, and it's not Muqsa. Um, Rabbi says, Rabbi, okay, this is, this is what the mission is saying. That all these kalim can be moved on Shabbos with their doors. And even though they became dismantled and separated during the week, they can nonetheless be moved on Shabbos. Okay, fine. Taner the rabbis taught, so the rabbis taught, if you have a shida teva umigdal, if you have a um, a carriage, a trunk, or a closet, okay, these are metaltalin, these are movable wooden objects, and they and they have doors on them, okay. So we're saying deles shall shida v'shal teva v'shal migdal. So the door of these wooden movable objects, notlin, you can. Um, Remove them on Shabbos, no problem. Avalomachzirin, but do not replace them. Do not put them back. So you can remove the door from these objects, but don't, re- you know, if they're like the doors are on hinges, so you can remove the, the door from the hinges, but don't replace, don't put back the door into the hinges or onto the hinges. Vishalulshotarnagolim, if we're talking about a chicken coop, lo nodlim velomachzirin, you can't remove the door from the hinge, you can't replace the door onto the hinge. No way. Neither one. So the Gemara says, I understand the chicken coop. I understand why you can't um, attach or detach the doors on a chicken coop. Because Kasavar came in the Mechabi Ba'ara, Yesh Binyan Bekarka, Yesh Bekarka. Because since the chicken coop is attached to the ground, it's like a little house kind of thing that the chickens hang out in. So since it's attached to the ground, well, it's part of the karka, and yesh binin bakarka, yesh stira bakarka, there's building in the, uh, when it comes to karka, when it comes to uh, earth, ground, and there's also dismantling when it comes to the ground. And therefore, you cannot attach the door to the chicken coop because that would be binyan, and you can't detach the, the, the door from the chicken coop because that would be stira. But when it comes to the carriage, to the trunk, and to the closet, what is the opinion in this brisa? I don't get it. If he holds that there is building when it comes to vessels, and there is dismantling when it comes to vessels, I'm sorry. Well, then If he holds that there is building when it comes to kalim, and for that reason you would be unable to attach the door to this. I'm just going to call it shiva shida teva umigdal instead of keep on translating them because then I always have to remember what they are. So if we're saying that you can attach, well, let's just choose one of them. Let's just choose a closet. And then it applies to also the uh, carriage and the trunk. Okay? Okay. So we're going to use the closet. So if we say 
that there is binyan bekelim, which and for that reason I'm not allowed to attach the door to the closet. Well then yesh stira bekelim. Well then there should also be dismantling when it comes to vessels, in which case I should not be allowed to remove the door from the closet, and yet we're saying that that should be acceptable. The ain stira bekelim and binyan bekelim. And if we're saying that you're allowed to detach the door from the closet because there's no concept of dismantling when it comes to kalim, well then there shouldn't be any concept of building when it comes to kalim, and I should be allowed to attach it. So what's pshat? Amr Abaye, lo'olim k'savar yesh binyan v'kelim v'yesh stir v'kelim. So Abaye says, look, the Tana of this b'risa holds that there is building when it comes to vessels, and there is dismantling when it comes to vessels. And that's why you're not allowed to attach the door to the closet because yesh binyan b'kelim. The question is, how come you're allowed to detach, to, to remove the door from the closet. What about yesh stira b'kelim? So he says, v'shinit lo ka'amar. So Abayi says, no, it doesn't say that you're allowed to detach the door from the closet. That would not be allowed because yesh stira b'kelim. What it's saying is that if the door was already detached from the closet, you would, you would not be allowed to attach the door to the closet because yesh binyan b'kelim. But you would not be allowed to remove the door from the Closet because yesh stira bekelim. Amalei Rava shtei tshuvas bedavar. Rava says I have two questions on you, Abaye. Chada denotlin katani. Question number one. It says it doesn't. And this is what I was saying before. That I feel like Rava is always like the stickler to 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 to, to not change things in brayses. And I'm not just saying from this example. In my mind, he says it on lots of examples, but I could be wrong. Anyways, he says to Abaye, look. The fact of the matter is, the brayses says that notlin that you would be allowed to remove the door from the closet. It doesn't say if it was already removed. It says your mama should allow to remove it. Ve'od, in question number two, my aval lo machzirin. What does it mean? But you cannot return it. But you cannot attach the door to the closet. That but you cannot attach only makes sense if it's saying that you may detach, but you may not attach. According to you, Abai, that it was already detached, what's the but? What's the thing that you are allowed to do that but you're not allowed to do something else? So Ella Amarava, rather Rava says the opposite. There's no concept of building by Kalim. There's no concept of dismantling by Kalim. That's why you're allowed to attach, that's why you're allowed to detach the door from the closet because there's no concept of dismantling. Well, if there's no concept of dismantling, then there shouldn't be any concept of building. So why can't I attach it? We're concerned that if you attach the um, door to the closet, you might attach it really, really well and make it like, you know, uh, uh, permanent, in which case that would be Makibipatish doing the final blow in, uh, in making this, uh, Kli and that, uh, and that, and that would not be acceptable. So because we're concerned that you might, you know, kind of attach it really, really well, we say not to attach it at all. But in theory, you know, in terms of binyan, there wouldn't be binyan bikalim or stir bikalim. We just have a gazer about Makibipatish. Okay. Okay, so the Mishnah said that a person is allowed to take a hammer and use that hammer to open a nut. So what kind of hammer are we talking about? Amr of Yehuda says of Yehuda, Kornas shall egozin the fatzea boesa egozin aval shall napachin lo. Rav Yehuda says, look, when we say that you're allowed to use a hammer to open up a nut, that does not mean that you can go to your shop, take your blacksmith's hammer, and take your nut and use your blacksmith hammer to open a nut. No way. 
What the Mishnah is saying is that if you have a nut, that, if you have a hammer that's specifically for opening nuts, for, crack, for cracking nuts, you can use that hammer. Right? Amr Rav Yudah says, Rav Kornas Shel Egozin. If I say Egozin. You can use a hammer that's specifically for nuts. You can use that hammer to open up nuts. Avashal Napachin Lo. You cannot use the hammer of a blacksmith to open a nut on Shabbos. Because Rav Yudah holds that if you have a Davish Melachto Isr, something that you use for something forbidden, such as a blacksmith hammer, a blacksmith's hammer. It's used for blacksmithing. That's not allowed to be done on Shabbos. So you can't use it on Shabbos, even the Tzorach Gufo, even for a, to, for, for a purpose that is 100% usable for its body. Meaning, what's its body? Its body is the hammer. A hammer can, can 100% be used to open a nut. Meaning, it's not normally used for this purpose. It's normally used for, for, for as a, you know, in the work of a blacksmith. However, there is no reason why you cannot you know, technically speaking, use this hammer to open a nut. However, Rav Yudah says, that doesn't matter. Fact of the matter is, this is a um, hammer that's generally used for something that's forbidden on Shabbos. Therefore, we don't use it on Shabbos, even ligufo, even for something that its body, that its form could totally be used for. Doesn't matter, you may not use it. Armele Rabbah, Rabbah says to Rav Yehuda, when the safe of the Mishnah says that, that you're allowed to use a winnowing shovel or a pitchfork in order to give food to a, 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 a child, are we talking about a, a winnowing um, shovel and a pitchfork that are specifically for giving food to children? Is there such a thing as a winnowing shovel and a pitchfork that was specified for use for children? Rather, Rabbah says, no, we're not talking about this hammer is not a hammer that is specifically for opening nuts. And this pitchfork and winnowing shovel is not a pitchfork and winnowing shovel that's specifically for children, for feeding them. Rather, we're talking about a blacksmith's hammer even a blacksmith's hammer can be used for cracking a nut on Shabbos. Because he says, something that is normally used for something usher, such as this blacksmith's hammer, which is generally used for blacksmithing, and nonetheless, the Tzorach Gufa Mutter. You can use it on Shabbos if it's for a purpose that is 100% technically usable for, uh, you know, that this Klee is technically usable for this purpose. So this blacksmith hammer, there's no reason why, you know, it shouldn't be completely functional as a nutcracker. And therefore, um, just be careful, but therefore um, you can use it on, on, on Shabbos to crack open nuts. That is Machal Gusin Rabbah and Rav Yehuda. Friends, that was Daf Kufchav Bez. I guess it was like, I don't know, it feels kind of a little complicated, but also Gishmak at the same time, right? I hope. Friends, let's go over it. Maybe, maybe it'll be Gishmak when we go over it. So, okay, at the beginning we started off with just kind of a few random halachas from uh, Rabbi Abba Barkana, Amr Rabbi Hanina. But then we, then we got into the real meat of the, of the, of the page, which was um, that first mission which talked about um, a non-Jewish person doing malacha for a Jew on Shabbos. So, here's, here's what, here's the, you know, here's what you gotta know. So, if he's doing it for the Jew, well then it's us, sir. Forget it. If he's not doing it for himself at all, he's doing it only for the Jew, it's not allowed. However, if now the, if the non-Jew is doing it for himself, and now the Jew, can the Jew benefit from whatever, you know, um, meta 
benefits there might be. Well then, so if they don't know each other, it's easier. Well then the Jew can, can benefit from, you know, if it's a light, he can benefit from the light that the non-Jew is doing, doing for himself. If there's like some extra water that he slept for his animal, the Jew can use that water. No, it's no problem as long as they don't know each other. When they do know each other, it becomes a little bit more complicated because we're concerned that maybe the non-Jew is doing the malacha with the Jew in mind. Meaning he's doing it for himself, but he also maybe takes a little bit more water, a little bit more grass in order to help out the Jew. So in that case, Abai says, well, if, if, if the non-Jew is doing the malacha in front of the Jew, okay, so then it's not allowed because we assume that maybe he's doing it for the Jew. But as long as the Jew is not there, so then, you know, if it is, then, then after the fact it would be, it would be okay. And Rava says, no, it doesn't matter whether the Jew is there or not. Rava says, well, it matters what the kind of activity is. You know, if it's an activity such as schlepping water, and they know, the Jew and the non-Jew know each other, and the non-Jew is schlepping some water for his animal, and then can the Jew use the leftover water? The answer is no, because the non-Jew, we have to be concerned that the non-Jew took some extra water for the Jew. However, if it's something like lighting a candle or building a ramp for a boat, ner le'echa ner le'mea. Right? There's no, he's not doing any additional work for the Jew, and therefore that would be acceptable. Okay. Then we started talking, we moved on to a new parak called Akelim, and, um, we, uh, and the fur, and we talked about chicken coops, and, uh, like closets and stuff. So let's talk about that for a second. So you're not allowed to attach or detach a door, um, to a chicken coop, to or from a chicken coop on Shabbos, because a chicken coop is connected to the ground. Right? And yesh binyan bikarka and yesh stira bikarka. There is building when it comes to ground and there is dismantling when it comes to ground. And therefore, uh, you would not be allowed to attach or detach, um, a, uh, a door when it comes to chicken coop. When it comes to shida teva umigdal, when it comes to a, um, I don't know, what are those things again? A, uh, carriage, a trunk, and a closet. Well, says Machlok Zabai and Rava. According to Abaye, he says, Yej binyan bikelim and Yej stira bikelim. For that reason, you cannot add the door or remove the door from the Shida Teva Umigdal, from these things. Um, and the Brysa that says that you are allowed to, um, you know, it's saying that, um, you're, that when the thing is already detached, you're also not allowed to, um, attach it. But you would not be allowed to detach it because Yej stira bikelim. Um, Rava says, ain binyan bekelim and ain stira bekelim. And for that reason, you would be allowed to remove the, um, door from the shida teva umigdal, but you would not be allowed to add it because it's a gezerah that we're concerned about makkah bepatish. At the very end, we then got into this interesting, most interesting machlokas between Rav Yehuda and Rabba regarding, can you use a hammer to open a nut? The question is, you know, can you use a hammer from a blacksmith to open a nut? Because technically, there's no reason why you can't, technically speaking, use a blacksmith's hammer for a nut. Rav Yudah says you cannot use a blacksmith's hammer for a nut because Klishim Lachdu Le'isr, the Torah Gufo is Asr. Whereas Rabbah says that you would be allowed to use it because even though it's Lachdu Le'isr, the Torah Gufo is permitted. Friends, I hope you enjoyed Dav Kuf Chav Beis of Mesech Shabbos. Have a uh, great day.